We ask for your undivided attention, i.e., remaining seated throughout the entire service. It would behoove us all to take notes. There are two microphones set up in the auditorium. When the proper time comes, we'll have questions and answers toward the end. So this evening, let's give a real warm welcome again to Dr. Walter Martin. Tonight we're going to be dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And I don't like to enter into that particular realm without some prayer. So let's bow before the Lord, shall we? Our Father, we pray that thou will bind the forces of darkness and exalt thy Son, Jesus. Teach us through thy word that we may have compassion and patience and the fruits of thy Holy Spirit as we deal with those who are in bondage to the Watchtower. We pray that thou will give us attentiveness and through thy Holy Spirit instruct us and impress upon our memories the things that we will need so that when we open our mouths to speak to them, it may be thy voice and thy word. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. You have your Bibles. How many have your Bibles? Good thinking. I'd like you to turn to Second Peter and I'd like to read a couple of verses from Second Peter, which I think describe quite accurately the problems we face when dealing with the Watchtower people. Second Peter, chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who secretly shall bring in destructive heresies, or divisive arguments and doctrines, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Many shall follow their evil ways. Because of them, the way of truth will be spoken of in an evil manner. Through covetousness shall they, with feigned words or phony words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time does not linger, their judgment is not asleep. Notice the emphasis here. There were false prophets among the people. There will be false teachers among you. Their method of penetration is covert. That is, they just don't openly assault Jesus Christ, the gospel, Christianity. It is a secret type of thing in which they sow the seeds of unbelief and of doubt. It's a type of penetrating operation of evangelism. And they shall bring in destructive, that's the content, destructive heresies or thinking, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. The great error here, of course, in verse 2, is that because of the evil ways that they follow, people will be led astray. And even the gospel itself may be spoken of in an evil manner. Because when people pervert the gospel and then pass themselves off as Christians, then somebody who listens to them later runs into a Christian hears something that's quite similar and says, oh, I've heard that before. I don't believe that. That's not the truth. And through that type of manipulation, then the gospel itself is spoken of in an evil manner. And the scripture reminds us of one more thing. They will 
through greed or through their own motivation, with phony words, manipulate you. Their judgment will not linger. In other words, God who spared not the angels that sinned will not spare this, finally. Now, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society came into existence through Charles Russell, a haberdasher who lived in Allegheny, Pennsylvania in the 19th century. He started a Bible class in the back of his haberdashery store in 1870. They voted to elect him pastor. He had no qualifications whatsoever. He had never studied the scriptures. He had never had any real background and training. He couldn't uh, own even a first-year Bible course or Bible correspondence course educational process. And yet, he went around flipping out Greek and Hebrew words, pulling passages out of context, and spun out six books entitled The Millennial Dawn. Those books later restudied, retitled, I should say, Studies in the Scripture, were distributed across the United States and around the world, 25 million copies of them by the time he died in 1915. He was a very definitive, and we would say today, charismatic type of personality. He affected a great many people and had a tremendous effect upon people in his own day. He challenged a lot of preachers to debates and took them on publicly. And because he knew enough about the subjects he wanted to talk on and the preachers didn't, a lot of ministers were embarrassed by Charles Russell. He predicted that Jesus Christ would return to earth invisibly in 1874. In 1914, Armageddon would come. And this present system of things would disappear. Then, Russell said, the establishment of the kingdom of God upon earth with the millennial kingdom would take place. He had a very close associate, Joseph Franklin Rutherford, better known as Judge Rutherford. And when it didn't pan out according to their prophetic interpretation, then Russell died and Rutherford took over the organization. Rutherford changed a number of things, moved the headquarters and changed the name of the organization to Jehovah's Witnesses in Columbus, Ohio in 1931. Up until that time, they were known just as International Bible Students and generally in the vernacular as Russellites, people who followed Charles Russell. Rutherford went to prison in 1917, 1918, because he was a conscientious objector and then was released from prison and became a martyr hero. He wrote more than 100 books. He founded the Watchtower's great printing operation, which you can see today. From just 6,000 copies in 1879, the Watchtower organization now prints hundreds of millions of copies of the Watchtower in more than 97 languages. There isn't any place that you can go throughout the world you will not find Watchtower publications, Awake magazine, the Watchtower, tracks, all kinds of materials in the language of the people. The missionary force of the Christian Church, Protestant, Catholic, and Orthodox, is approximately 107,000 full-time workers, 107,000 as of 1985. Watchtower Bible and Tract Society has more than 480,000 full and part-time workers in the United States and on the mission fields of the world. They print more material and distribute more material in six months than all the presses of the denominations of the Christian church turn out in one year. They start more Bible studies than the Christian churches combined in the United States. They make more calls on homes and more back calls than any other group in the United States. They have ingeniously marked out every population center in the United States 
so that they may call on every dwelling place in those population centers at least three times per year. That gives you some idea of the enormous penetration of the Watchtower organization. You are not dealing with a group of lonely fanatics who don't know what they're doing. You're dealing with people who are dedicated, zealous, sincere. They believe absolutely that they have found, quote, the truth, and that the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society is Jehovah's theocratic organization. Do not try to impart truth to them because they believe they already have the truth. So if you say to them, I'm going to tell you the truth, forget it. The conversation is over. They are programmed not to listen to that. They are programmed to teach you, to evangelize you. They are not programmed to listen to you. They automatically discount about 95% of what you say. That's why when you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness, you get the feeling that you're firing BBs at a brick wall. And as soon as you finish giving it your best, they're right back to square one again. And your blood pressure is flowing all over the place because you know something is wrong. But what is it? And where is it? I think perhaps to give you some background on the Watchtower Organization's operation, it would be a good idea to tell you a few things about it that will help you understand the mentality of Jehovah's Witnesses. The psychological structure of Jehovah's Witnesses is very important because unless you understand how they think, and how they've been programmed, you can't talk to them in any efficient way, whatever. So you've got to understand a little bit about their mentality. First of all, you must divorce the Jehovah's Witness that you're talking to from the Watchtower organization. He or she is a soul for whom Jesus Christ died. The Watchtower organization is the theocratic organization of Jehovah which controls them. And it's all-powerful amongst Jehovah's Witnesses. They have a fear psychosis second to none. They are told that if they leave the Watchtower, they lose their families, they lose their friends, they lose their businesses, they lose everything that they have, and they will be surely annihilated in the fires of Armageddon. If you're a Jehovah's Witness and you come to Jesus Christ, your wife may very well divorce you. You may lose your family. Your friends won't talk to you. Your entire cultural world disintegrates because the Watchtower organization has structured your cultural world. Now let me explain how it's done. You are encouraged to talk only to Jehovah's Witnesses, to fellowship only with Jehovah's Witnesses, to listen only to Watchtower lectures, to read only Watchtower material. All the news that you see on television or read or hear about is all interpreted for you by the Watchtower's publications so that you don't think for yourself, essentially. The Watchtower tells you what to think and interprets everything. In short, you come into what is known as a subculture. You live in a subculture within whatever culture in the world you happen to be, whether it's Africa, Australia, United States, Europe, wherever it may be. The Watchtower organization creates a subculture in that part of the world. Every Jehovah's Witness will answer the same question the same way. They will use the same language. I can tell you exactly how a Jehovah's Witness in New Delhi will answer a question that I ask a Jehovah's Witness in Brooklyn. 
That is how complete the thought control is. They are drilled in question, answer, vocabulary, response. They are conditioned by being cut off from their cultures. And the only thing that they're trained to do is witness, 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 witness. Put in your hours, work, 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 fill out your sheets, sell watchtower literature, because Armageddon is coming. And that's the psychosis. Now they have predicted the Battle of Armageddon six times. And they've been wrong six times. They are known in the study of the cults as Armageddon Incorporated. Give you some idea of how you can deal with them. Let me quote to you uh, a little track we put out, Christian Research Institute, called 100 Years of Divine Direction. This is a marvelous track to give to Jehovah's Witnesses. It gives instant shock therapy. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses maintained that Armageddon was supposed to come in 1914. It didn't. They moved it up to 1918. It didn't. They moved it up to 1925. It didn't. They moved it to 1941. It didn't. They moved it to 1975. It didn't. And now they are predicting that they will soon come forth with the correct prophetic interpretation for the Battle of Armageddon. When you're dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses, remember, they will not tell you the truth in their discussions with you if they have arrived at the conclusion from the watchtower that you are not entitled to know the truth. Now, I had a court case recently where I had to testify in a custody case for Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, who, a man who had the children from the marriage and had remarried a Jehovah's Witness and was denying the natural mother the children. And so she brought suit in the Florida courts in order to get her children back. And she had to have an expert witness that the court would recognize. So her lawyer flew to California and asked me if I would testify. I flew from California to Florida over the objections of the other attorney because he had found out who I was and he didn't want me to testify. <laughs> so I didn't know whether I was going to be able to testify or not when I walked into the courtroom. I walked in, sat down, Jehovah's Witness was there and his uh, current wife and this lady sat on my right and her attorney and the judge and the court reporter and uh, the attorney said, I want to call Dr. Walter Martin. And the other attorney said, uh, I object strenuously. What does a Southern Baptist know about Jehovah's Witnesses? And my attorney said, everything. <laughs> That's why he's here. And then he brought out all my credentials and everything. The judge just kept looking at me. And the other attorney said, I object, Your Honor. And the judge said, I think we'll recognize Dr. Martin and let him testify. So I said, thank you, and uh, I started to testify. About 10 minutes into the testimony, the attorney asked me this question before I went into cross-examination. And he said to me, Dr. Martin, can we depend upon the word of a Jehovah's Witness? I mean, the gentleman that's here hanging on to these children, wanting custody of these children, can we really depend that he will tell us, the court, the truth? I said, absolutely not. And the man almost died. And I took this piece of paper out from their publication, uh, Aid to Bible Understanding, published by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. And I said, uh, let me quote the Watchtower publication on the subject, Your Honor. I said, they will lie to Your Honor, and they will lie to the court in order to establish 
the Jehovah's Witnesses' doctrines. I said, and you might as well face the fact you cannot depend on the testimony that you will receive from the Watchtower or from them. And the judge looked at me and said, how do you know that? And I said, because they said so. And then I read this. A lie. The opposite of truth. Lying generally involves saying something false to a person who is entitled to know the truth and doing so with the intent to deceive or to injure him or another person. The judge looked, and I said, and then, Your Honor, this statement. While malicious lying is definitely condemned in the Bible, this does not mean that a person is under obligation to divulge truthful information to people who are not entitled to it. Close quote. I said, Your Honor, you are not entitled to it. This court is not entitled to it because the Watchtower states that this court and the government of the United States are part of the devil's organization. It is all satanic, and therefore they have no obligation to tell you the truth even under oath. The judge said, read that again. <laughs> I put in the court record. I said, there it is. They will lie to you under oath in order to establish their own goals. I said, that is on the record, publicly. Well, I don't know how the lady made out because the case is still in uh, dispute. But uh, I do know that when I was cross-examined, that the other attorney was so furious at me that he finally said, if you were the supreme potentate of a country, would you let Jehovah's Witnesses have children? <laughs> and I looked at him sort of funny, and the judge went, My attorney said, or her attorney said, Your Honor, really, Dr. Martin is not here as the supreme potentate of any country. He's here as an authority on comparative religions. The judge said, sustained. So that was the end of that. We keep praying for that lady because she's born again, and she wants her children. And a watchtower, get a hold of the children. I just read documents off how they were going to train those children. They would learn what the watchtower had to say about history. They would not be permitted to participate in school activities. They would not be able to participate in any of the things normally that a child would do in school. Instead, immediately after they came home, they would be given watchtower material and sent out on the streets to peddle it. They're discouraged from going beyond high school into any higher education. They have the lowest educational level of any cult in the country because all they're supposed to do is go out and peddle watchtower material. So understand the psychology of the average Jehovah's Witness. You're dealing with a person who has been very systematically conditioned. And they have been conditioned to believe exactly what the watchtower tells them and nothing else. They are like a horse on a racetrack with blinders. They see neither the left nor the right. There is no distraction. It is straight on watchtower. Now that's what you're up against. That is why it's important to remember that if you are going to get through Jehovah's Witnesses' psychological blocks, you have to learn how to disrupt the programming that the Watchtower has used on their private computers. You have got to learn how to get through the programming and into their minds so that you can present the gospel to them. If you do not learn how to do that, you can talk to them forever and not get anywhere because they're already conditioned to block you out. Now, one of the things that will shake up Jehovah's Witnesses' programming is shock therapy. And that can be used in a number of ways. 
One of the ways that I suggest is with this tract that we have called 100 Years of Divine Direction. Let me illustrate how it works. One Saturday morning, a Jehovah's Witness knocked on my front door with his little boy before he knew I lived there. <laughs> my wife called me. She says, Walt, there's somebody here to talk to you. <laughs> See, my wife is no fool. I said, who is it? I'm not expecting anybody. She says, it's a Jehovah's Witness. I said, oh yes, they did come and talk to me, didn't they? <laughs> I came downstairs and I went to the front door. Very personable businessman was there and he said, good morning. He said, um, have you seen the article in this magazine? And he handed me an Awake magazine. And the title of the article was, Who Do You Trust? And I said, that's a great title for an article. Who do you trust? I said, who do you trust? He said, I trust Jehovah God. I said, me too. And I said, I trust Jesus Christ. He said, me too. I said, and I trust the Bible. He said, me too. <laughs> and I said, well, we have a lot in common, don't we? We both trust Jehovah, we both trust Jesus, and we both trust the Bible, right? He said, right. I said, good. I said, you know, I have a problem. <laughs> now, always use the word problem. Or I have a question. Or I am troubled by. Or I've always wondered about. Could you possibly help me? You got that? All of those are buzzwords that tr trigger the programming in the computer. They are programmed for those words. They are taught. They alone know. They alone can teach. They alone can help you out of your troubles. They alone can explain. They alone can do what? Help you. So when you start using those buzzwords, you are turning on the watchtower programming. And it happens almost like magic when you're watching it. And you just say, as I said to this gentleman, I wonder if you could help me. I've always been in trouble. Maybe you could explain. Within a minute and a half, he was salivating on my doorstep. He couldn't wait to help me. Just anything to help me. And I said, can you forget that you're a Jehovah's Witness for a minute and I forget that I'm a Baptist? He said, sure. I said, you must be a businessman must be successful because you're out here on Saturday morning. I said, you must work during the week doing something. He said, yes, I am. I'm in real estate. I said, good. And he said, uh, uh, I uh, work. And I said, I work for the society uh, with my spare time. I said, well, that's very good. I said, I'm sure that you're very dedicated to it. I admire your zeal. And not many people will be out here on a Saturday morning pushing doorbells and knocking on doors. I said, but I've got a problem. <laughs> I said, if in your business world you made a deal on some real estate and the guy promised to close on a certain date, the date came, he didn't close. I said, what would you do? He said, well, I'd try to find out why I hadn't closed and what fell through. I said, well, the guy said, unfortunately, something happened and it wasn't his fault and it was a miscalculation. Now he gives you another date. Right. I said, and that date, date comes. Right. And he said, he didn't close either. I said, now I called you back again. He says, hold it. If twice he does it to me, he doesn't get another chance. I said, in other words, you don't trust a person like that, do you? 
He said, no, I don't. I said, you wouldn't trust anybody, secular or religious, that lied to you, would you? He said, I certainly wouldn't. I said, you're a rational man. I'd like you to look at something with me. He was already. Quote, does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of danger, to declare things to come? This question can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? This prophet was not one man, but a body of men and women, a small group of the footstep followers of Jesus Christ, known at that time as international Bible students. Today they are known as Jehovah's Christian Witnesses. Of course, it's easy to say this group acts as a prophet of God. It is another thing to prove it. The only way that that can be done is to review the record. What does it show? Close quote. Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, Watchtower Publication, April 1st, 1972, page 197. They are Jehovah's prophet. They speak in Jehovah's name. And they give Jehovah's word to the people and to the world. He said, I believe that. I said, good. Listen to Jehovah's prophet. 1889. The battle of the great day of God Almighty which will end in A.D. 1914 with the complete overthrow of Earth's present rulership has already commenced. Close quote. I said, was Earth's government overthrown in 1914? He said, no. I said, God's prophet said so. Listen again. Our Lord, the appointed king, is now present since October 1874. The Bible chronology herein presented shows that the six great thousand-year days beginning with Adam are ended. The great seventh day, the thousand-year reign of Christ, began in 1873. How can the thousand-year reign of Christ begin? It's a millennial kingdom. He said, yeah. I said, how can a millennial kingdom begin in 1873? He looked at me for a moment. And I said, in the millennial kingdom, the lion's supposed to lie down with the lamb, right? Yeah. Because the only way he lies down with the lamb today is if the lamb's inside the lion. <laughs> I said, there's no millennial kingdom. I said, God's prophet's wrong three times. 1918, therefore we may confidently expect that 1925 we'll see the return of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I said, did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob get back in 1925? <laughs> he said, No. I said 1925. The year 1925 is here with great expectation. Christians have looked forward to this year. Many have confidently expected that all members of the body of Christ will be changed to heavenly glory during this year. This may be accomplished. It may not be. I said, since when is may and may not be? Since 1916, you've been saying it's going to happen. Now you're at 1925. It hasn't happened. 1931. There was a measure of disappointment on the part of Jehovah's faithful ones on earth concerning the years 1914, 1918, and 1925, which disappointment lasted for a time, and they also learned to quit fixing dates. That's from a Watchtower publication. Book Vindication, Volume 1, page 338 and 339. We have quit fixing dates. 1931, 1941. Never was there a more moving sight in these last days. Receiving the gift, the marching children clasped it to them. The Lord's provided instrument for the most effective work in the remaining months before Armageddon. He said, where'd you get this stuff from? I said, your publications. I said, but it gets worse, friend. Listen. 
1968. You got to listen carefully now. True, there have been those in times past who predicted an end to the world, even announcing a specific date. Yet nothing happened. The end did not come. They were guilty of false prophesying. Why? What was missing? Missing from such people were God's truths and the evidence that he was guiding and using them. Close quote. In the awake issue of October 8, 1968, page 23, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society branded itself a false prophet. Their own words. 1975, they were at it again. The fall of 1975 was to be Armageddon. When it didn't happen. They announced that they had miscalculated the time for the creation of the animals in Eden and also the age of Eve's creation. And by rearranging that, they had come to the conclusion that finally they could look forward to Armageddon as soon as these years had been added in and the last generation alive, the last people from the last generation, from a time that they announced this in 1914, would be the final generation. So that would mean by the year 2000, that would be the end of everything according to their own latest calculation. Now Raymond Franz, who was the successor to Nathan Knorr, the Watchtower president who succeeded Rutherford, Franz had a nephew. Raymond Franz was that nephew. Freddie Franz is his uncle. He is the president of the Watchtower. He left the Watchtower and wrote a book entitled, and was covered in Newsweek and all the major publications, Crisis of Conscience. Raymond Franz is an honest man. He was a member of the Watchtower's governing board. He was slated to succeed his own uncle. He would have been the most powerful man in the Watchtower. Except that Raymond got a crisis of conscience. And he began to ask questions. And one of the questions he asked was this. Do we believe that Armageddon is coming in 1975? Yes. And Jehovah's Witnesses were being urged by the Watchtower not to invest in anything, not to buy anything, not to get houses, not to do anything, but just to wait to 1975 and support the Watchtower. Raymond Franz found out, after examining the Watchtower's books, that all the time they were telling the Jehovah's Witnesses to sell, 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 and give, give, give to the Watchtower, they were purchasing $300 million worth of stocks on Wall Street. Which portfolio still exists today? They are so crooked when they die, they'll have to screw them into the ground. <laughs> and the poor Jehovah's Witnesses are out there selling the literature, and these guys are investing in Wall Street while they're telling them in 1975, everything's going down the tubes. That is what you're up against. Now, the average Jehovah's Witness is not ready for this kind of shock therapy. But after they've recovered from it, briefly, they will say, well, that's all that this says. How do I know that's actually there? Now you get your chance. You say to him, as I did, well, look, supposing I give you photocopies of the documents that are here so you can see it's all in context would you leave the watchtower if you found out that they really did lie to you all those times? If they say, yes, write to us. We'll send you the photocopies. If they say, I don't know, then you get a real chance 
to go in there with the gospel and say, you mean to tell me that you would accept lies from God's organization in the name of Jehovah God six times and still believe it? This begins to disrupt the Watchtower programming. It does not compute. It does not compute. It does not compute. Error, 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 error. They're in trouble. And you are planting seeds that the Holy Spirit can use to get them thinking. Now, some other ground rules that can be used to get inside the Watchtower programming. Quickly. Watchtower organization teaches its people that it is the voice of God. That when it speaks, God speaks. So, by using this type of approach, and then by checking some of their other common approaches that they use for propaganda purposes, it's possible to disrupt the programming even more. But, before I show you how to do that, there is one important thing that you want to make a note of. Jehovah's Witnesses are stone blind mentally and cannot grasp the gospel at all apart from a direct act of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? 2 Corinthians 4.4 The gospel is hid to those whom the God of this world has blinded in the minds. They can't see it. So, before you get into dialogue with them, recognize that and start praying. Lord Jesus, open the eyes and ears of their souls and their minds so they can hear, so they can see, so they can understand, because they're in darkness. Let that be a constant prayer the whole time you're talking to them. Constantly praying that prayer. Open, 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 because unless the Spirit of God's grace moves upon them, and you know how to pray and to witness to them, you cannot penetrate. Now, I know this is a fact because I've been at it 35 years, and I know what will penetrate under of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So, don't knock yourself out trying to get through to them. Let the Word of God get through to them. Let the Holy Spirit get through to them. They don't hear too well, but they all read well. Because Watchtower instruction comes 95% by reading. They are print-oriented, not pictures, print. They don't listen, and they don't form pictures. They read print. So get to the print with them. Since the Watchtower has trained them to do that, use the training. Say to the person, I'd like to read this passage. Perhaps you could explain it to me. And then have them read the passage. So prayer that God will open the eyes and ears of their minds and spirits. And having them read passages with you. So that the word of God gets to them while you're talking. Let me illustrate how effective this can be. One Saturday morning, two Jehovah's Witnesses boys knocked on my door. And I went down. And uh, they were very nice, well-dressed kids in their 20s. And they said, we're uh, conducting Bible studies in this area, and we thought perhaps that you might be interested in getting some literature on the Bible. I said, oh, I'm always interested in literature on the Bible. And they said, well, um, we're um, Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, we're canvassing this neighborhood. I said, oh, I said, 
And your organization, the one that started in Brooklyn with Judge Rutherford and so on? Yes, that's right. I said, well, I lived right down the street from your headquarters in Brooklyn when Judge Rutherford was alive. I said, all the literature was coming out. I could see that. I said, oh, I'm very familiar with your background. And they said, oh, that's wonderful. Then you know about us. I said, yes, I do know about you. Delighted to have this opportunity to chat with you. And we chatted for a couple of minutes about, and one of them said to me, you know, he'd been in the Watchtower 17 years. And he said, you know, he said, the world is really in terrible condition. I said, you're right. He said, Jehovah God is going to judge this world. I said, you're right. He said, uh, well, he said, you believe in the Battle of Armageddon? I said, absolutely. The other one said, are you a Jehovah's Witness? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm a Christian. And I said, but you know, I wonder if you could help me understand something. <laughs> yes, oh yes, yes, of course, we'd be very happy to help. What seems to be the problem? Now, this is very important. There is one doctrine in the Bible which is more important than all the rest. Because all Christian theology rests on it. All Christian theology. It's not the virgin birth. It's not the deity of Christ. It's not the Trinity. It's not the second coming. It's not the atonement. The doctrine, which is the most singularly important of all, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because 1 Corinthians 15 says, If Christ is not risen from the dead, your faith is empty and you're still in your sins. And we are of all men most miserable because we testify God raised his son from the dead, whom he did not raise from the dead, if the dead do not rise. All our salvation and all the hope of the church rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he emerged from the tomb the third day as an immortal man and conquered death, he is the son of God with power by resurrection from the dead. If he did not... He's a false messiah, and we should reject him and go back to sacrificing a lamb and look for the coming of the messiah. The resurrection is the key to everything. Satan knows that. That is why he has attacked the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ more than any other doctrine in the entire history of the church. So, that's the area to concentrate on. Resurrection. Because Jehovah's Witnesses teach, and I quote, the King Christ Jesus was put to death in the flesh and was resurrected an invisible spirit creature. The man Jesus is dead, forever dead. Close quote. In Watchtower Theology, Jesus came back as a ghost, not as a man. They deny the resurrection of Christ. You might care to write this down. The word resurrection in Hebrew and Greek always refers to the body. Never to the spirit. Never to the mind. Never to the soul. Always to the body. The Bible knows only the resurrection of the body. So when they talk about resurrection, they've changed the meaning. They're talking about a spirit coming back from the dead. We're talking about the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. That's historic Christianity. Watchtower denies it. So, I said to these two young fellows, I've always had a problem about something that I read in your literature. Oh, well, perhaps we can explain it to you. I said, well, maybe you can. 
I said, uh, do you have a Bible? And they said, oh, yes, yes, we have a Bible. So they took out their Bible. I want you to do it too. And I said, well, here's the passage that I have in mind here. I said, perhaps you could explain it to me. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 2. John, chapter 2. So they turned to it. And I said, perhaps we could read it together. The one on the left was in training to learn to do this, to witness. The one on my right had been there 17 years. This young fellow on the left had been there a couple of years. So I concentrated on him because he had the least indoctrination. And I said, perhaps you could read this for me, sir. He said, sure. I said, John 2, beginning at verse 19. Jesus had just cleansed the temple. Read what it says. And he read it. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, 46 years was this temple in building, and you'll build it in three days. But he spoke of the temple of his body. And I said to him, um, could you explain that to me? He looked right at me with a perfectly straight face and said, I don't know what you want explained. I understand it perfectly. I said, good. I said, what is the temple? He said, the temple in Jerusalem. He just cleansed it. The Jews said 46 years it took to build this temple. It's the Jerusalem temple. One on my right wasn't saying anything. And I said, well, if it's the Jerusalem temple, I said, that certainly explains it all right. I said, but perhaps we should read that again. I said, something isn't right here. Jesus said, destroy this temple. In three days I will raise it up. Now look at verse 21. But Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. And he said, I don't understand. He was speaking of the temple of his body. And the one on the right got it. And exploded. And he said, no rhyme, no reason, no logic, nothing. Just a knee-jerk response. He said, well, what's Jesus doing in heaven with his own body anyhow? <laughs> Never mind that the text said it, you see. The programming had been disrupted. See what happened? And the next thing that came out of his mouth was, oh, well, what is he doing up there with his body? So I gave him the typical type of response that would arrest his think thinking processes. I said, what business is it of yours? And he just looked at me. And I said, is it any of your business if Jehovah God raises Jesus Christ from the dead and brings his body to heaven for you to ask him what he's doing there? I said, the passage says, the temple of his body. So Jesus raised his own body from the dead. He says, no. And I said, well, I said, why don't you read it? So he read it. Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. He was speaking of the temple of his body. I said, whose body? Not a word. I said, his body, his body, his body. Well, you see, you want to avoid theological overkill. Theological overkill is like having a whole arsenal of atomic bombs. You don't need all of them. You just need the ones that will do the job. The job was done. He knew 
The one on the left knew. They both knew. And there was no answer. And there isn't any answer. So right in the margin of your Bible in verse 21, he spoke of the temple of his body. Circle the word body. The word body in Greek is soma, S-O-M-A. You can print it right there and become an instant Greek scholar. S-O-M-A. It always means body. Jesus said, I will raise my body. Now, just in case there should be some hesitation on that part, read the next verse. When therefore Jesus was risen from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Obviously, Messiah was to rise from the dead and to rise in his own body. And after he rose from the dead, they remembered this. Why? Because Jesus presented his body to them. Now, at this juncture, they were dead in the water. There was no way out. And you want to avoid what Christians incessantly do. Now that they have, in effect, stopped them cold, they charge in for the kill. Now, you know that if you back an animal into a corner, the animal's going to fight. If you prove somebody wrong and you keep pushing them, they're going to fight even though they know they're wrong because their pride is hurt and they're embarrassed. And so, they're going to fight you. So, don't make the mistake of going after them at that point. Once you have made the point in the passage, psychologically, turn on Christian love and say to the Jehovah's Witness. Now, I realize, and this is probably something that you never saw before, but you know, there's another passage that's even clearer than this. <laughs> they will be so glad to get out of John 2, they will go anywhere. <laughs> you follow? Because they're in the corner, and you have just graciously stepped aside so they can get out of the corner. You have been loving and considerate and gracious and magnanimous. And so you take them to the next passage before they can recover themselves. Flip back just a couple of pages to Luke 24. While you're flipping, you say to them, this always tweaks their interest. You say to them, did you know that the disciples and the apostles of Jesus made the same mistake about his resurrection that you did? In other words, put them in the company of the apostles and the disciples so they won't feel lonely. <laughs> and they'll look at you and say, what do you mean the apostles and disciples made a mistake? You said, you mean you never saw it before? Oh, it's right over here in Luke chapter 24. Look at it. As they were thus speaking, verse 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and frightened, and they supposed that they had seen a spirit. I said, Isn't that what you teach? Don't you teach that when Jesus came back, he came back as a spirit? And they said, Yes. I said, look, verse 37, the disciples and the apostles were terrified and frightened and they thought Jesus was a spirit. But look what Jesus said. Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? 
Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me to have. I wish you could have seen their faces. The one on the left was a wipeout. Just write him off. He was gone. The one on the right said, I can explain that passage. I said, oh. I said, well, by all means. He said, remember how in the Old Testament the angels appeared in human form? I said, yep. He said, well, that's what Jesus did. In the resurrection, he just manufactured bodies that looked like his resurrection body to confirm their faith. I said, in other words, Jesus was a lying deceiver. And he said, what? I said, well, if he manufactured a body that looked like the one that was in the grave or hidden or buried someplace, and he passed it off as his own body and said, it is I, myself, handle me and see. I said, he lied to them. I said, do you believe Jesus lied? No. I said, then Jesus told the truth, didn't he? Yes. I said, good. The truth is what? I'm not a spirit. And I didn't manufacture any body either because Jesus told the truth. My own body. I'll raise my own body from the dead. John 2. No way out. Now at this juncture, the one on the right said, I think it's time for us to leave now. <laughs> and I said to the one on the left, I said, well, I said, he can go. I said, but you seem like an honest man. I said, maybe we could talk for a few minutes. The one on the right said, we're both going. I said, really? I said, do you think for him? Does the watchtower think for you and then you think for him? And I looked at this young fellow and I said, does he think for you or do you have a will of your own? He said, I have a will of my own. I said, well, then stay and talk to him. What are you afraid of? He said, I'm not afraid. I said, good. He said, I'm going to stay. I said, wonderful. The guy on the right said, I'm going to stay too. I said, good. You stay and keep quiet. I'm talking to him. He's honest. You won't even face it. He's honest. He knows what I'm saying is true. I said, there's one other passage that's even stronger than those. Really? I said, yes. They flew to it. John chapter 20. All in the Gospel of John here, you have these potent passages. John 20. Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, verse 24, was not there when Jesus appeared to his disciples. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I want you to notice something. Thomas was a rational empiricist, a skeptic, agnostic, and he was within the parameters of human reason to have taken the position he did because bodies crucified just didn't get up and walk around. And he was an eyewitness. Jesus had a spear hole in his side and his hands and his feet were pierced with nails and the top of his head was disfigured by the crown of thorns that was jammed down into his brow and he had been beaten in a Roman scourging and marred and bloody and bruised and swollen unrecognizable almost 
When they got finished with you, they doggone near beat you to death. And so I said, look at this passage. Very important. Thomas said, I saw that. And you're going to tell me he's alive after that. Because unless I can put my finger into the wounds of his hand and my hand into his side and he's standing right here, I'm not going to believe it. You see, Thomas knew that women cannot be trusted early in the morning before coffee and never in a graveyard. <laughs> well, these guys kept reading. After eight days again, his disciples were within, Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. And he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, verse 27, Behold my hands, reach hither thy hand, thrust it into my side, do not be without faith, believe. And I looked at verse 20, I said, Read that verse. And one on my left read it. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. I said, Do you realize what Thomas said? Get out your Greek interlinear from the watchtower and look at it. Ho kurios mu, ho theos mu. The Lord, mine, the Jehovah, mine. Thomas called Jesus Jehovah God. He worshipped him as Jehovah. Jesus said, Because thou hast seen me, Thomas, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ground of personal hope of every Christian. Because he lives, we will live also. The religions of the world, the philosophers, the sages, the seers, the prophets of world religions share one thing in common. They're all dead. Buddha, Mohammed, Zoroaster, Confucius, and all of them are dead. And they died and they stayed there. But the essence of Christianity is that Jesus Christ conquered death. He's alive. Every time somebody passes out of death into life spiritually, every time the drug addict and the prostitute and the self-righteous and the Pharisee is transformed by the power of grace, God says, He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's the Son of God with power. By what? Resurrection from among the dead. And He said, Because I live, you will live also. This is not a dry, dusty theological doctrine from systematic theology. This is the foundation and the core of belief of the entire Christian community. Jesus Christ conquered death. And that's why... When you and I have to face it, if Christ tarries, and we all have an appointment with the mortician, whether we want to face it or not, remember, you can strap up your chin and put hormone cream under your eyes. You can exercise with Jack LaLanne until purgatory freezes over. You can do Jane Fonda forever and trim your belly and do your exercises and munch on vegetables and take care of yourself so that your arteries will be 190 years good. And when you die, they'll have to flog your liver to death with a bullwhip. <laughs> you take vitamins and do all the rest of the stuff that they tell you. But 
the living know that they must die. And when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, before you wash your face and see the satchels under the suitcases under your eyes and the lines that are beginning to sneak around the corners and on the mouth and when the jowls start to sink and the tummy starts to protrude and two flights of steps is like 40 mile hikes <laughs> and when the hair begins to gray and disintegrate and when the muscles are shortening and you have the rheumatiz in the back then you know the words of Solomon are true the living know they will die and God didn't create this body you have here now for immortality because he foresaw sin but he has promised us in Jesus Christ glory immortality and eternal life this corruption will put on incorruption this mortal will put on immortality death will be swallowed up by life and it's only true because he's alive and that's what Jehovah's Witnesses are afraid of there was just no answer he just looked at me and he said I got a question for you I said okay he said Jesus appeared in that room I said right he says and the doors were shut how did he get into the room if the doors were shut if he had a physical body he couldn't he had to come through the walls had to come through the floor through the ceiling through a window, through something. But he couldn't have appeared in a room. He said, that's why he had a spirit body. And I said, did you complete high school? <laughs> he said, yes. I said, did you remember taking a course in basic physics? He said, yes. I said, then you know that there is no such thing in physics as a solid object. You know that every object is composed of molecules and atoms and of electrons, neutrons and protons and of an entire world of antimatter. Yeah. I said, okay, in a laboratory if you take a cube of lead and a cube of gold and you put them together and you compress them in a vise and let them stay overnight and the next day you take them out and put them under an electron microscope you will find particles of gold in the lead cube and particles of lead in the gold cube. During the evening, they have changed places because there is no such thing as a solid object. There are spaces in between everything. He said, yeah. I said, well, if two solid objects can pass through each other without touching each other, Jesus Christ could enter that room in a resurrection body and not touch anything because he's the architect of all physics. Colossians chapter 1. By him were all things created, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he exists before all things. He is the head of the church, firstborn among the dead, that in everything he should have the preeminence. I said, Jesus could enter a room and not touch anything because he was the supreme architect of creation. You know, these boys were tragic to behold. They had believed a lie. They were in darkness. And suddenly there wasn't anything left. 
I said the watchtower was wrong on the resurrection. And they're not only wrong on the resurrection, they're wrong on who he is. Thomas worships him, my Lord and my God. He was desperately looking for notes in the watchtower, publications and everything. No help. Christ is called God by Thomas. And Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus said, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Believe what? I am your Lord and your God. And Thomas accepted it. Now, in dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses on the resurrection, use these passages. They're almost impossible for them to even begin a refutation. All they can do is deny. They can't refute. Press home the resurrection. Press home the fact that 1 Corinthians 15 says, unless you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're lost. And you're still in your sins. They have no defense for that. There are other things that also can be used where they have no defense. The false prophecies, they cannot answer. And there are a number of other things. So I'm going to give you two or three quick lightning thrusts that will get their attention almost instantly. Thrust number one. The Watchtower maintains that Jesus was crucified on a torture stake. And they spend a great deal of time attacking the cross and Christians who wear crosses. And since I wear a cross all the time, they couldn't help but notice that I had one on and they informed me that this was a pagan symbol and a symbol of torture and it was wrong because Jesus actually was crucified on a stake with his hands over his head like this not like this now that's one of the things they use for shock therapy on the average Christian because the Greek word for cross is sturos which is translated correctly as stake but it can also mean cross but since they don't know Greek, they don't know that. They know only what the watchtower tells them. So you have to have something that will counteract that quickly and get their attention. The whole idea is to undermine faith in the infallibility of the watchtower. Because this is what they're trusting in. And once the watchtower begins to shake in its credibility, you are capable of presenting a witness to them because they are really shaken up. So. The cross is a good place to begin. Here's how you do it. In John chapter 20, which we've just been looking at, Thomas was an eyewitness to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There can be no doubt of this, whatever, because he was there, the apostles and disciples were there, and they saw how Jesus was crucified. Listen to Thomas's testimony as an eyewitness. Verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. Circle that in your Bible. That's a plural in the Greek. In his hands the print of the nails. The watchtower says when Jesus was crucified, his hands were crossed and one nail was driven between his bones so that not a bone would be broken to fulfill the scripture. That's how he died, they say. But Thomas is an eyewitness. Listen and watch me. Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails. 
two nails, one in either hand. You can't put two nails through your hands crossed. They'll break the bones. Therefore, Jesus was crucified on a cross piece with his hands out like this. Clear as crystal. John chapter 20, 25. He said, well, what difference does it make whether it was on a cross or a stake or for that matter, a tree? This difference. The watchtower has made an issue of it and said in the name of Jehovah, that's how Jesus died. You are undermining their credibility. Thomas says, I saw it and he didn't die that way. He's an eyewitness. Secondly, connected with the cross, Watchtower organization says, no archaeological evidence can be adduced to show that the cross was used at the time of Christ. The Romans crucified on trees or in stakes, says the Watchtower. Really? New York Times, January 1st, excuse me, January 18th, 1971. January 18th, 1971. Israeli scholars uncovered and authenticated the first physical evidence of an actual crucifixion in the ancient Mediterranean world. The article gives proof of use of a cross and not a stake for crucifixion. Even the name of the person was identified in the crucifixion discovery. Name of the person, Yohonanan. Time of crucifixion between the years 70 and 70 A.D., 1st century. It proves that the Romans were using crosses in the 1st century refutes the Watchtower's argument. Now, that gives them some pause for thought because they no longer can point at the cross and say that you're wrong for having one because Thomas says that's what Jesus died on. End of argument. Secondly, second attention getter, thrust number two. Watchtower maintains that only 144,000 people can receive communion. Because 144,000 are the heavenly bride or the heavenly class who are going to live forever in happiness with Pastor Russell, Judge Rutherford, Nathan Knorr, Freddie Franz when he goes, and the top dogs of the Watchtower. Only 144,000. The rest are going to live forever in happiness on earth. So if you say to a Jehovah's Witness, don't you want to go to heaven? Nine times out of ten they'll say no. They want to be resurrected and live on earth. Only the 144,000. Spirit beings will be in heaven. Now, how do you answer that? Well, usually very delicately and sweetly. And you say to the Jehovah's Witness, I understand that you believe that only 144,000 are going to be in heaven, and those are the ones that take communion. Isn't that right? Right. So you do take communion then. At least 144,000 take communion. Right. I, I don't understand how you can do that because I found something in the Bible that really puzzles me. What's that? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So turn to it in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then have them read the passage with you. Now what I am giving you here in these methods took an awful long time to find out. You're getting a Crash Reader's Digest course on how to do it. So take your notes carefully and notice exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. He's talking about the Lord's Supper, 23. 
I have received of the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's your context. Look at 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Don't you teach that Jesus came back in 1874? Yeah. Well, why are you still taking communion? Huh? There is no answer. They never have this question asked to them by thoughtful Christians. Because most thoughtful Christians aren't thinking about simple things like this. They're looking for involved answers. Most of the answers are quite simple. You just have to know where they are. Here they are. 1 Corinthians 11. They shouldn't be taking communion even for the 144,000 because it only testifies till Jesus' death until he returns. He came back in 1874. Quit it. They will run back to the watchtower with this verse. The watchtower will run for the hills because there isn't any answer to the verse. Excellent attention getter. Thrust number two. Thrust number three. The concept of authority in the watchtower. Say to the Jehovah's Witness, I understand that you believe that the Watchtower Organization is the actual voice and power of Jehovah God, and that when you speak at the Watchtower, God has indeed spoken. Now say, well, it's Jehovah's theocratic organization. He speaks through his theocratic organization. You say, well, I understand that you will not go to war to defend your country. And they will say, yes. Jehovah's Word tells us we should not go to war. And Jehovah's Theocratic Organization tells us we should not go to war. We do not kill other Jehovah's Witnesses. And we may be disfellowshipped if we go to war. That's what they'll tell you. That's how strong they are on this thing. And it's based on the authority of the Watchtower. All right, how do you answer them? Write down the reference. Watchtower, February 1st, 1951, page 73. Jehovah's Witnesses should follow their consciences in these martial times. It is only due to conscience that they have personally and legally objected before draft boards to participating in the armed conflict and defense programs of worldly nations. In this course, their consciences are not warped, but are instructed in what is right, and they are instructed in the Scriptures, God's Word. So, Jehovah's Witnesses are instructed in the Scriptures, God's Word, not to go to war. That's Jehovah's Word. Now, write this reference down. Watchtower Bible and Tract Society's publication, The Watchtower, April 15, 1903. April 15, 1903, pages 3179, 3180. Ready? Quote. Obedience to the laws of the land might at some time oblige us to bear arms, and in such events it would be our duty to go into the army. 
there could be nothing against our conscience in going into the army. All this army service would come under this heading, rendered to all their dues. In conclusion, the Watchtower claims scriptural support for two directly opposite positions, and God told them both of them. In 1951, your conscience forbids you to fight. In 1903, your conscience commands you to fight. There's an old Indian expression, white men speak with forked tongue. Watchtowers speak with forked tongue. 1903-1951. I don't think any of us can grasp how a Jehovah's Witness mind reacts to just the simple information and documentation I've given you tonight. It's first-rate shock therapy. They just don't know how to deal with it. And you can get many more of these things if you simply get into the Word of God and check out some of their own arguments and their own quotations. You'll find they contradict themselves on a fairly regular basis. Watchtower Organization states that it is the final authority, the voice of Jehovah God on earth. What they don't tell you is that under oath in Scotland in 1954, Hayden C. Covington, vice president of the Watchtower, admitted that the Watchtower organization promulgates false prophecies. I obtained a copy of the transcript on microfilm, and I delight in showing reprints of it to Jehovah's Witnesses because they've never seen it before. Under oath, he was asked this question. Quote, You have, forgive the expression, promoted false prophecies, have you not? Answer, yes. That's devastating. Here's an organization that says it speaks in the name of Jehovah God and under oath says it lies in his name. The average Jehovah's Witness doesn't know that. If you would like to check the reference, you'll find it in my book, Jehovah of the Watchtower, at the very end of the book, where I reproduce part of the transcript from the microfilm. You can get the questions and the answers right there. In addition to that, the Watchtower organization demands of its people an absolutely unprecedented and unbelievable thing. They demand unity in the Watchtower at all costs. Now, I realize that may come as a shock to some people's minds, but they are actually servants of an organization which will disfellowship them, cut them off from their family, their friends, and their culture, threaten them with Armageddon, make them spiritual, moral, and cultural lepers if they disagree with the organization, even if they happen to be correct. Now, just so you won't think that I am prejudiced, let me quote from the same transcript dealing with this subject. Hayden C. Covington, Vice President of the Watchtower, question about whether Jesus returned in 1874. Question. A false prophecy was promulgated? I agree to that. That is correct. It had to be accepted by Jehovah's Witnesses? That is correct. If a member of Jehovah's Witnesses took the view, Mr. Covington, that the prophecy was wrong and said so, he would be disfellowshipped? Answer, yes. You realize the impact of that? Under oath, the vice president of the Watchtower says, if a member of the organization finds us promulgating a false prophecy 
and they tell us it's a false prophecy, even if they are right, we disfellowship them. Listen to his further comments, just so you won't forget it. He would be disfellowshipped, yes, if he said so and kept persisting in creating trouble, because if the whole organization believes one thing, even though it be erroneous, and somebody else starts on his own trying to put his ideas across, then there is disunity and trouble. There cannot be a marching together. There cannot be a marching together. When a change comes, it should be from the proper sources. The head of the organization, the governing body, not from the bottom upward, because everybody would have his ideas. So you're not supposed to have any ideas. And the organization would disintegrate and go in a thousand different directions. Our purpose is to have unity. Question. Unity at all costs, Mr. Covington? Answer. Unity at all costs. Question. And unity based upon an enforced acceptance of false prophecy? Answer. That is conceded to be true. Close quote. Here is the vice president of the organization under oath stating that if you as a Jehovah's Witness find they're wrong and you try and correct them, they tell you to shut up and you say, I can't because it's not true. They disfellowship you even if you're right because it's wrong to create disunity. That, my friends, is an absolutely autocratic organization that makes Rome look like Sunday school. The Pope can't even do that. But Freddie Franz can pick up a telephone in Brooklyn and disfellowship you in Delhi, India with a phone call. All you have to do is to say you disagree with their prophetic interpretation. You're out. Now, I wish we had the time. We don't. To go into greater detail and more material. I have six cassettes, on how, four cassettes on how to witness the Jehovah's Witnesses. I have two other cassettes, Dialogue on the Doorstep with Jehovah's Witnesses, where William Setnar plays the part of a Jehovah's Witness and I play Mr. Christian. He and his wife come after me like killing snakes, trying to convince me that Jehovah's Witnesses are right, and I respond to them. So it's a two-hour and ten-minute dialogue which was taped at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith's church, and we did that. It was edited down to just two hours and, or so, and now you can get the entire dialogue. Every argument Jehovah's Witnesses use on your doorstep virtually is on that cassette, and it's called Dialogue on the Doorstep with Jehovah's Witnesses. That information, plus the chapter on Jehovah's Witnesses and the Kingdom of the Cults, the book Jehovah of the Watchtower, gives you 30 years of work on how to get to them and also how to protect yourself and your family from the Watchtower's theology. These are people who make wonderful Christians and when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they stuck their foot in your door for Jehovah's Witnesses and they'll kick doors down for Jesus Christ. Get a good congregation of ex-Jehovah's Witnesses and they'll tear Albuquerque to pieces. Why? Because they know the difference. And once they pass out of darkness into light and from the power of Satan to God, then they are out there standing for the gospel every moment of their lives. Don't think that this doesn't happen. Don't think that Jehovah's Witnesses 
don't come to Christ. They do. And when they do, they become tremendous examples of the gospel of grace. Don't give up on these people. Love them for Christ's sake. Remember what you were like before Christ and what Christ has done for you. Remember the darkness. Remember the prayer. Lord, open the eyes and ears of their souls and minds so they can hear and see you. God will answer that prayer. God will let you plant the seeds. God will let them be watered. And in proper time, God will give the increase. I close with an illustration of what I mean by this. You have no idea the power that is contained in just one word or one phrase of Scripture. There's enormous power. I told you about Alpha and Omega and how Bill Setnar came to Christ because of it. I was preaching in a Baptist church in Long Island on a cold, bitter December night. In that church, we had 45 Jehovah's Witnesses occupying four rows in the back. And they were there to harass me in the meeting. We had a great meeting. And then the question period came. And a Jehovah's Witness lady got up. And she was representing the Kingdom Hall. She was the smartest person they had, apparently. And she had a list of questions that wouldn't quit. And she'd ask me a question, and I'd answer it. She'd sit down. A couple minutes later, she'd pop up again. Give me another one. Twenty-five minutes she interrogated me on Watchtower Theology and the Bible. And each time I answered her. Well, the meeting ended, and I said goodbye to the pastor, went outside to get the train to go home. Outside on this bitter cold night was 45 Jehovah's Witnesses waiting for me. <laughs> they had more questions. And they didn't want to go home because they were thinking and they were upset. And this lady was upset too. So I stood outside, my feet getting number by the minute, answering their questions. And as I was answering questions, the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, ask her one. And I said, naturally, I should have thought of that immediately. Ask her one. He said, Why didn't I think of that? Wake up. I said, you know, you asked me questions for about a half an hour inside. She said, right. I said, um, how long have you been a Jehovah's Witness? She said, 14 years. I said, you're qualified to speak? She said, yes. I was elected to speak tonight. I said, good. Could you answer a question for me? She said, I'll try. I said, supposing Jesus Christ told you personally, personally, that he was coming back from the dead in his own body, would you believe it? Dead silence. She said, what do you mean personally? I said, well, if Christ said to you, I'm coming back in my own body. I'm going to raise my own body. Would you believe it? She said, of course I would believe it if he said it. I said, do you believe the Bible is God's word? She said, yes. I said, Jehovah has spoken in there? Yes. You can rely on the Bible? Yes. I said, good. Turn your Bible, John 2. And she did. And I had her read it. And she said, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And she kept reading. She got to 21. I'll never forget this. And she said, But he was speaking of the temple of his... I said, I didn't hear what you said there. 
She said, the temple of his body. I said, what? She said, his body. I said, I didn't hear you. She said, body! <laughs> I was mad. And I took that moment to utilize the authority of Scripture. And I said, Jesus said, he's going to raise his body. And I whacked my Bible. And I said, he's going to raise his body, 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 body. And I said, you're wrong on the resurrection. And if you're wrong on the resurrection, you're wrong on who he is. He's Jehovah God. And if you're wrong on who he is, hell is real. And if you're wrong on hell and it's real, you're going there. Well, the other Jehovah's Witnesses descended upon me with other questions. But she kept quiet. Deathly quiet. I answered some more questions and five minutes later, this lady interrupted the meeting. She said, now wait a minute. I don't agree with him. She said, you know I don't agree with him. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. She said, but I never did see that word before. She was blind till that moment. And she said, it does say body. The Spirit of God witnessed to me. Daylight. Dawn has arrived. This lady knows. And I said, I got to go. I'll miss my train. Nice chatting with you. Bye. And I took off. One of my prized letters I received in the mail a few weeks later from the pastor of that church. He said, Walter, I know in this ministry you need all the encouragement you can get. He said, so I thought I'd encourage you a little bit. He said, you remember the Jehovah's Witness lady gave you such a hard time in my church? Never forget her. Well, he said, she came into my study last week and she looked like she hadn't slept in three weeks. She looked awful. She came in and sat down and she said, remember when that man Martin was here? I said, yep. She said, you don't know what happened after the meeting? He said, no. She said, he went outside and was answering questions for us. And she said, he read a verse of scripture and he had me read that verse of scripture. And she said, he took his fist and he slammed it down on that Bible under my nose. And he kept saying, buddy, 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 buddy. And she said, I haven't slept in three weeks. I go to sleep hearing body, 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 body. I wake up hearing it. She said, I don't understand it. But Jesus Christ raised his own body from the dead. He must be God. What do I have to do to get saved? And she was born again. He said, but I got to give you some more good news. He said... She gathered all of her watchtower material, 11 years worth, invited all of her Jehovah's Witness friends over from the Kingdom Hall, witnessed to them, and then poured kerosene on it and burned it. She led seven Jehovah's Witnesses out of the Kingdom Hall to the Lord Jesus because they knew her and they believed her. And then she took all her lists of calls she made on people's houses for 11 years. And she went house to house, name by name, family by family. Hi, remember me? I'm your friendly ex-Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Do you remember what I told you before about the Watchtower? Don't believe it. It's a cult. 
I got to tell you the truth, and she'd witness to them. Two Mormon missionaries knocked on her door. She said, you Mormons? They said, yes. She said, oh, good, come on in. I used to be a cultist too. They got the Mormon missionaries in their living room and preached Jesus Christ to them. She had the two missionaries down on the floor crying out to God for salvation. That lady was baptized in that church. And the pastor says, is the most vigorous, bold witness you could ever find. Why? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He saved her. And that's what I want to convey to you. If he can do it in New York State, if he can do it in India, if he can do it in Australia, if he can do it in South America, he can do it in Albuquerque, New Mexico. The challenge to do that is here. And the time is now. He that has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the church and obey him. Amen. Thank you. I want to take just one moment before the question period. You received cards when you came in. If you are not on the mailing list of Christian Research Institute and you would like to have a free copy of this tract, which you have my permission to run off as many copies as you want without paying anything for copyright, just do it. And if you'd like free information on the cults and a copy of our magazine forward, to let you know what's going on in the world of the cults, then fill out that card with your name and address and the church that you normally attend. Any Baptists here tonight? Wave at me so I can see you. Oh, good. How about Presbyterians? Anybody else? Good. How about some Methodists? Good. Episcopalians? We'll get to you in a minute. <laughs> Assemblies of God. <laughs> One? <laughs> you should have kept quiet. <laughs> what I'm trying to show you is a very simple truth. The church is in this building tonight. In a few minutes, the church will go home to bed. The building is not the church. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't make any difference what the label on the bottle is. What's inside the bottle counts. If you've been to the cross and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior then you're part of the church. Any Catholics here? Good. Welcome. What I'm trying to point out is Lutherans? Good. Independents? Calvary Chapel people? Ah! <laughs> I figured on you. What we have to do is learn something from this meeting. Learn something greater than all the information on the cults. Learn something greater than actually defending the gospel against the cults. Learn the unity of the body of Christ because the church is here now. We need each other. The finger needs the nose and the nose needs the lip and the lip needs the toe. We're all part of the body. We cannot afford the luxury of labels anymore because we've got to stand together against the common enemy, which is the forces of darkness and the kingdom of the cults. Let's do it! (laughs) 
You want to have a good time? I'll tell you how to do it. Get a bundle of these tracks. Hunt up the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall in town. Find out when their meetings are. Form a track committee and go down there and put them in the windshields of their cars. <laughs> Love your enemies. It'll drive them crazy. <laughs> Knock on the door of the Christian Science Reading Room and tell those little white-haired old ladies that Mrs. Eddie lied to them and that they're going to die and they're going to lose their souls and tell them the truth. And when the Mormon missionary pedals up, open the door and say, Come in, I've been waiting for you. You'll scare him to death. Don't you realize that the body of Christ is the dwelling place of the living God? And that God's Spirit lives in us? We're supposed to communicate that to all of our church groups and all of the community and to these people. We are at our strongest when we are together. Neither Jew nor Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, male nor female, one body in Christ. That's the key. So fill out the card if you want the information, if you're not already on our mailing list, and we'll be glad to send it to you. Just take those cards and be sure that you give them to one of the ushers or uh, what other arrangements may have been made for it. Or you can put them, where, over here? In the agape boxes you can put them. Uh, and uh, we will process them immediately. It takes about 10 days to get the information to you. Use the tracks and the resources. And there's a bookstore right down the uh, uh, road from you here, maybe 100 yards or less. And in there are tapes, books, pamphlets, tracks, material on the cults and the occult. It's all available for you. I didn't write them for me. I wrote them for you. The authors don't make the money on them. The publishers make all the money. I wrote the books and did the tapes so that the church could be equipped to evangelize and to defend herself. So get Kingdom of the Cults if you don't have it. Get Jehovah of the Watchtower. Get some of the material that will help you do the job because that's the way that you communicate, having the information and giving them the Word of God. Now, there are microphones here. And if you have a question about Jehovah's Witnesses or the cults in general, please go to the microphone. There's one there and one over here. Just put the microphone close to you so we can all hear you and ask the question that you wish. And I'll be happy to try and answer it as quickly as possible. Yes? Um, I'd like to know... At, Speak at a little louder, dear. At what stage does... Um is a Jehovah Witness in when they want to be baptized? What are, what are they teaching them at this time? When they're getting ready to baptize them, they're virtually inside the watchtower. The baptism is a public confession of it. So you're very well indoctrinated by the time you get to baptism. They're at a stage of development where you need all of the grace and the wisdom and the knowledge and the Word of God to reach them and lots of prayer. Okay? Okay? Yes, over here on my left. Yeah, uh, you had said that if they didn't go along <clears throat> with everything that they taught, they would um, be cut off from their families, businesses, and would not escape the flames. Or of Armageddon, that's right. <clears throat> the Watchtower Organization threatens all people who are disfellowshipped. And their families are instructed, their friends and so forth. Their families are permitted to speak to them, but not on any matters biblical or theological. 
Well, I was wondering if that was the same thing as hell because I had um, uh, talked to a Jehovah Witness lady and who did not believe in hell, and I was wondering about that. That's not the same thing. The this same. fellowshipping no. isn't hell. It becomes hellish. There's no doubt about that. But they don't believe in the They existence. don't believe in hell. They don't believe in hell, no. Right. Uh, of course, okay. the scripture is quite adamant that there is a hell. Matthew 